Welcome to Unapologetically Bold, I'm Not Sorry For. If you are a person that is tired of apologizing for being you, you know, the human part of you that sometimes feels like it has to be different at home versus work versus play, the human side that just wants to be hot, humble, open, and transparent about your wants, desires, and uniqueness. If you answered yes, this podcast is for you. Join me, Emily Elrod, as I dive into conversations with amazing guests about what they are not sorry for in creative and loving ways. Let's get started. Dave is somebody that I met through Sandy, LinkedIn, like so many cool people that I know. So I am blessed to have you on today. So with that, um, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thanks, Emily. I'm I'm really excited to be here. I'm glad that Sandy connected us. Uh, it's always fun to see how one connection leads to different things down the line. So I'm grateful for the chance to be here. Um, I run a small consulting company called Evolve Leadership Consulting. Uh, I've done that work now for since 2014, so six years. And I typically work with small to mid-sized companies. And mostly what we focus on is what I call kind of the villain of misalignment. Uh, and so we look at kind of four elements of any business. Uh, what we often see is that, you know, strategy, culture, story, uh, and execution are kind of the four buckets. And that at any one, any one time, those things can be kind of moving in different directions. And that often leads to the stressed out feeling that leads to the, I can't sleep. I, my wife became a therapist or my spouse became a therapist because I, you know, stressed out at work. Uh, and so we really realign those systems and in realignment, kind of regain and help people kind of reclaim their their joy for their work and uh, increase revenue. I, I love it. Care about, right? yeah. And I think too, it's going to lead into what you're not sorry for. And before we get into that, I do want to ask people to continue to like, subscribe and share as our goal is to bring positivity to your listening ears. And as we continue on this mission of humanity and sparking it for the betterment. So yeah, let's go ahead. Dave, what are you not sorry for? Uh, so this is something that I've grown into over the course of my life. Uh, but I'm not sorry for making things awkward. Uh, and uh, here's really what that means is I think in, in a lot of conversations that I'm in when I'm working with different companies, there's what I call kind of unspoken truces. And it's the things that don't get said that often just kind of sit there. And so... You know, it's awkward in its own right not to talk about the things that are important. And, you know, I often say that not dealing with our issues is what gives them power. And so my awkwardness is taking that power back, is to actually raise the thing that nobody's talking about, is to say, hey, here's what I see. What's going on with that? Um, and that can be, you know, really uncomfortable at times. That can create a lot of tension in a space. Uh, but I ultimately think that awkwardness and the silence that might follow that or the courage that it takes to speak into that, uh, you know, uh, even though that feels awkward, leads to just better work environments, better relationships. You know, you mentioned spreading positivity. I think it just creates a more positive environment when we actually deal with the things that are causing us that pain. So that's the that's the thing I'm not sorry for is is kind of asking people to step into what might feel like a really awkward, difficult conversation. I hear so many awesome things that I want to go with that. I think the first one I hear is it makes me think of Google's study on the Aristotle project and psychological safety. 
and the ability to build relationships so that you can have those awkward conversations. So how has building that happened for you? How have you built, in essence, psychological safety or a place where people can have these awkward questions and these awkward conversations? Yeah, I love that you brought that up. I use that study a lot. Uh, the psychological safety piece for me is really important, right? Because the reason we're not talking about it is likely because somebody doesn't feel safe, right? So there's kind of two things that I think about with that. The first is I utilize observation quite a bit, and observation without judgment. So I think a lot of folks say, well, just say what you think or say what you feel. And it's like, well, I try to remove the thinking and the feeling and just say, here's what I see, right? So like, you know, I see that when you said this, you know, your counterpart didn't say anything. So tell me about that. And then it's followed up with a curious question, right? So observation plus curiosity to me creates the safety. Because I think when you bring judgment into that space of like, hey, you're yelling. Why are you yelling? It's like, well, now I just judged you. I judged that you were yelling. You might not think so. And now we're kind of tussling back and forth about whether you were yelling or not, which is kind of a waste of our time. So it's more like, hey, when you said this, I saw this. Mm -hmm. so, tell me about that. What, what's going on there? It's like, well, I've made it safe now for us to talk about that and invite, you know, it's, it's an invitation into conversation. And I love that's the word that I've been using lately is an invitation to. Yeah, yeah. You're not yeah. telling somebody, you're inviting them to, and they're more likely yeah. to come into it. Yeah. But also with that, the power of, I think as consultants or anything, we're good on objectivity. That's the reason why people bring us in because we're like a fair playing ground for everybody to have a conversation. Yeah. But not everybody's like that. So right. how do you help people be more objective mm. in the process of making it awkward? Because uh, that may not be their natural tendency. So to be objective is awkward in that um, status of itself. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm glad you said that. I mean, I think we have an advantage as outsiders looking in often because we don't have the social, you know, kind of container that they're in, right? Like we're not carrying the social baggage. We're not carrying the hierarchy with us. Like it's easier for us to say that than for somebody who lives in that hierarchy. Um, you know, so often, you know, you, you mentioned objectivity. And I think, again, I, I would just come back to the observation piece and empowering someone to say something. And kind of coaching them through, like, here's how you might bring up that difficult thing. The other thing I would say, though, too, is, you know, I think folks, like I say, you know, kind of not dealing with the issues is what gives them power. The more time it takes for you to say something, the more powerful it gets, right? So if somebody's been, you know, saying something in a meeting and it's, it, it's oppressive to you or it makes you feel like you can't contribute, not doing anything about it just makes that meeting worse every time you go to that meeting. And so... I'll often talk about like, what would you rather have five minutes of pain or two years of not saying anything in a meeting and wishing that you did, right? Like, so make it awkward for five minutes and then your life gets better ultimately, as opposed to, you know, so the objectivity is in some ways kind of a reframe of the mindset, right? Of like, hey, take five minutes of pain as opposed to two years of, you know, wishing you would have said something and didn't, right? Yeah. So tell me a story about that, that you learned, because what I'm thinking of is Pete Havel is coming on in a future show and he wrote the book, The um, Arsonist in the Office, I think. I'm pretty sure it's called. Yeah. And, it, and it's talking about basically that, that, but he was brought in on the aspect that he was supposed to control the arsonist and kind of be a buffer 
for others to not have the fire or the flames going at him or I get going at others. So how have you seen it power people that are in essence arsonist by not having those awkward conversations? And sometimes those people that are like that are high performers. They're extremely high performers. Absolutely. But they're yeah. tearing down a team. So what, what have you seen in your experience on and then the aftermath and the power of it by addressing yeah. Yeah, actually, I typically try to engage both people who are involved in it because it's always it's always two sided, right? So, <laughs> if I don't know if you ever, you know, the dog whisperer, uh, some odd years ago, you know, Cesar Milan was the guy's name, and I was always impressed that you know it was you know the dog was showing the symptoms, but it was almost always the owner's fault, <laughs> right? And so, like, I often think about okay, so there's two sides to every relationship, at least, if not more. And so, you know, if, if you're working with a person that's feeling feeling that difficulty, like I just was talking to somebody the other day who is kind of a number two in a company. So there's, you know, the leader of the organization, they're kind of the CEO, basically. And, you know, they kind of just kept mentioning, well, you know, I can't do that because I just want to make sure I'm doing things right. I just want to make sure I'm doing things right. And so I just pointed out like, hey, have you noticed, have you noticed that when you say, when I ask you, Hey, why isn't this getting done? Or what's the what's the challenge here? You keep bringing up. I just want to make sure I'm doing things right. Tell me about that. Like, where's that coming from? And so then it was like, well, then we kind of worked through it. It was like, well, I just I don't really know what he wants. I'm like, okay. So to me, it's often getting clear on what the actual core problem is, as opposed to the symptoms. Often the symptoms are like, well, I don't know, so I didn't say anything, or I kind of did that work over here. Or I felt really uncomfortable. It's like, well, those are all symptoms of like, really what you lack is just the clarity of like, you haven't had the conversation with the CEO around what does this look like? Like, what does excellence look like if that's what you're dealing with? And so then it's, hey, let's connect with the CEO and figure out what's excellence. Mm -hmm. I often refer to those things, you know, I talk a lot about misalignment and, you know, we call it conflict management or the arsonist or like, there's all this kind of dark language around it. And I often think that's, in its own kind of a hindrance to folks feeling empowered to have that conversation. Like I don't call it conflict management. I call it misalignment. It's mm -hmm. like, not lined up. We're not on the same page. So let's get on the same page. And that to me kind of diminishes the, the anxiety that comes with those conversations. Because mm -hmm. I think it brings in the factor of teamwork. Exactly. That we are all together for a cumulative better good instead of a comparative, what I've talked on the show many times about a comparative curse and how we compare ourselves to others. And there is a saying that uh, don't make assumptions because you might end up looking like the first three letters of the word. Yeah. And, and that's kind of what happens is we, is we make these assumptions. And I see that Nathan had a comment on here about the ability to have clear expectations mm -hmm. and what i've talked about also in the past is that a lot of people say communication is the issue but for us i think it's it's having those awkward conversations to get to actual clear expectations what does it mean for you for xyz to get done and what does it mean and it's that misalignment and i love how you phrase it out mm -hmm. with a almost it's a team approach and it's more of a positive approach yeah. What got you here? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Uh, the, I, I thought a pretty profound work, at least in my own understanding, was um, the work by Patrick Lencioni around the five dysfunctions of a team. And there's a couple elements to that I think are really important. 
you know, the trust piece, I think is kind of foundational to the, he's got five pieces and number one is trust. And I think that's really important. Uh, and one thing he talks a lot about is vulnerable trust. And vulnerable trust is saying things like, I don't know the answer to that question. What do you think? Or, hey, I messed up. Like saying sorry without attachment. I think those things are just really powerful invitations into the conversation, you know, and, and to Nathan's comment around clear expectations and talking about communication, you know, the two biggest communication challenges I see around expectations that get missed are two things. So number one is what I call downward spiral conversations and downward spiral conversations are like, well, I didn't get that done on time because my computer stopped working. My computer stopped working because there was a lightning storm and there was a lightning storm because of global warming. And it's like, well, why are we talking about global warming? Like you didn't get your thing done. I don't, you know, like we just totally went somewhere else and we talked about four problems and we didn't deal with any of them. Mm-hmm. Right. And so downward spiral conversations happen in meetings constantly. And so much of what I spend my time doing is just saying like, hey, that's interesting, but let's pull it back and actually deal with the issue we were talking about. Which brings me to part two, which is the kind of focus on focus on action and results and making sure that everybody's clear at the end of, I always say, who's doing what by when? And we end every meeting with who's doing what by when and is everybody clear on what that is? And if we get clear on who's doing it, what they're actually doing and when is it going to get done by, we build in the accountability, we build in the focus on results and we kind of stop that downward spiral that takes place. And so clear expectations to me is really those two things. Like, are we actually solving the issues that we identified? And two, do we have a clear plan for who's doing what that way every meeting all the time? And that's so important because it gets, we do a similar approach with that. And and I'll say that it's accountability and action. Like you have to have that part. I found, and it goes back to the teamwork and about coming together and having those clear expectations. And then also saying if people didn't do their part, not going down the downward spiral, but addressing it. What do you need? How can we help you? How can we support you to make sure that next time you do get the task done? Is there, and that's, I do want to bring in this, that sometimes awkward conversations can lead to deeper relationships in the aspect that I've seen where people are hurting at home about and they don't tell anybody like their wife just got diagnosed with cancer and we're going to be quiet about it and and that's okay if you want to be but the thing is is the more that you can bring that safety in so that you can have that community yeah how have you seen that impact whenever people maybe hush hush on one side of work versus life instead of embracing the and in it yeah what's interesting yeah i mean i'm glad you brought that up because i think you know, culture is obviously so important. And I think one thing I see a lot is there's a stated culture and then there's a lived culture. And then those two things are often really different. Um, you know, I was just at a, I was at a car dealership the other day, uh, getting some service on our, on our, you know, uh, parents Honda Odyssey van, you know, soccer dad kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, there were, there were like 20 core values up on the wall. And I remember thinking like, how do you possibly hold people to 20 core values? Like, do they even know five of these? You know, like, I mean, it's great. It was awesome that they had them up and they had it displayed. And like, I'm glad that that was important to you. But good luck holding people accountable to that. Um, and so I think, you know, there's there's needs to be some real intent. Again, kind of go back to the psychological safety piece of like, who are we? What do we care about? How are we inviting that in? And one value I've seen that I think works really well for a lot of companies is uh, uh, take ownership taking like 
own what you do and that vulnerability then of like, hey, I made a mistake. That's my fault. Sorry, everybody. I'll, I'll do better next time. It's like even just that makes it more possible for people then to have like, oh, I'm not perfect either. Oh, good. Let me tell you about my life. <laughs> right? Like I just made it safe now for us to have conversation beyond beyond like, did you get your objectives done? And we're only, you know, robotic people in an organization. It's like, no, all of us carry our home life into everything we do. We can't, uh, the author Parker Palmer says, you can't separate soul and role. And I love that because I think it's really profound. It's like, as much as we want to put on that facade, we can only carry it for so long. And so if we don't bring ourselves into work, we just end up feeling more stressed, more frustrated, more overwhelmed. So I think I think, you know, from the leadership perspective, being able to create a culture and live a culture that you can hold people accountable to actually, you know, uh, being that culture, living that culture, plus creating those safe spaces in, in vulnerability is really powerful for uh, bringing people, having people bring themselves fully into a work environment. Yes. And I think that's true. Where I first realized that is somebody um, who I work with now, uh, Tangela Johnson, she did a 12 driving forces and basically it was looking at what your, it's a disc assessment style, okay. what your adaptive style. So your, your style at work is versus what your natural style is. And she's like, if there's a 20 point difference, like you're probably stressed. Yeah. And all of mine were at that time, whenever we supposed, uh, first did it, every one of those were she goes and we actually reminisced on it like last week and she goes you were really stressed in 2017 yes i was yeah yes but the the misalignment that came with it that i wanted to be one place or i felt the need to be one way at work to get things done crafted by my environment comparative to what my natural and my home state and what i want to be so Quickly talk about that, about yeah. bringing those together in the, in whenever you have those collide. Yeah. You know, and honestly, I mean, I think the like very tactile version of this is, you know, one of the roles that you're responsible for at work and do those align with what you're good at and what you love to do or not. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of us get stuck. I mean, of course there's things that work that we just, you know, like, I don't, I don't like working through receipts and doing the accounting work, but I have to. Like it's just a thing that needs to happen, right? But, you know, so there's some of that, but I think if largely a lot of what you feel responsible for or asked to do at work doesn't line up with what you care about, what gives you meaning, what gives you joy at work, you're going to start to feel that dissonance. And same thing in home life, right? Like if, if you feel really stuck in a particularly difficult situation or context or situations happen and you feel really stuck over there, it's like that dissonance, that lack of resolve, carries over it spills into everything and so you know uh, one of my favorite examples of a lack of resolve is the you know if you sing twinkle twinkle little star and you don't sing the last note right how i wonder what you oh like like, that's the lack of like you're like well just finish the song right Um, and so i think for me i found that the, the idea of making it awkward is much more about bringing resolve it's like the alignment feeling is what it resolve feels like in most organizations. So that can be, you know, alignment can be like, Hey, we actually put you in a position, literally in a position where you can be successful and you can live into what you're good at. Or um, it can be like, Hey, let's just talk about the hard thing we haven't been talking about. Let's align culturally. Let's align a strategy. Let's align an execution and let's align our story. 
And those are the four things that I, I think if, if those line up, you start to feel that resolve. And when that resolve is there, then you feel like you can actually fully be yourself. I love that. And one thing that comes to my mind is what you talked about earlier about core values and that they're having 20 different core values. One, yeah, how is that? Can, yeah, the person yeah and, and the part that a lot of the time core values are, um, they're on a wall and that's about it, you know? Yeah. yeah. But with that, a lot of confrontations and awkwardness is based on our values and like how yeah. I feel strongly about things. So somebody's listening to this and they're like, oh, I need to have all these awkward conversations. <laughs> How yeah. do they use their values almost as a filter mm. instead? Or well, what do they use? What, what would you recommend and yeah. have them to use for a filter instead of just say, I'm going to talk to everybody and then it goes fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm glad you said that because, you know, core values is one of those things that I feel like pretty much every company's figured out. Right, like, oh, we should have core values. And I think there's probably three best practices in any company. So if I'm working with a leadership team, there's always three things I talk about. Number one is, you know, the core values can't be um, what are called kind of permission to play values, which is like honesty. It's like, well, yeah, if you're not honest, you probably shouldn't be employed. Like, like that's just kind of basic human knowledge, right? So maybe let's not do that and keep it simple, right? So like I said, I gave the example of take ownership. So in some ways, it should like call people forward. Um, and so, you know, one, it should just be like things that people can understand, like make it simple. Two, there should be performance reviews that are tied, like those should be woven into your performance reviews. And three, which is really important around the performance review pieces, is values are only make sense by stories. And so we can define it. We can say, well, taking ownership is X, Y, and Z. It's like, but that doesn't mean the same thing to everybody. Like, no matter how you define it, people are going to interpret it differently. And so it, it gets legs with the stories that we tell around it. And so it's a really great opportunity to lift people up in your organization. You can say, hey, every week you can do a shout out around a particular core value. You can say, hey, Todd, the other day, or Emily, the other day, you know, really, she she made a mistake on a, on a project. She took ownership. She worked long hours that evening and solved the problem. That's a really good example of taking ownership way to go, Emily, right? And it's like, well, now we have a definition. We start to see what that means for our company. We start to call out the good behavior. And the people who don't get called out start to realize like, oh, well, if I want to get called out for that, maybe I need to start taking that behavior on. So there are some ways to kind of execute, so to speak, the values and make them come alive. Um, And I think it just gives it meaning. And I think individually, you have to kind of create your own stories that tie into that company story and start to tell what those are and start to see yourself in that. And if you can't, you're probably working in the wrong place. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Maybe go somewhere else, I guess, if you can. I mean, I guess that's easier said than done. But yeah. And I, I want to go on to that. You were talking about misalignment at work, but how can people also use this at home? Yeah. And for me and my kids, we make um, goal statements every year and we have our values that we stick to. So we yeah. do that. We kind of, it's like our own little company, I guess you want to say. Right. So how can people take this into their home life and actual items? Yeah. Um, 
so to kind of go all the way back to one of the first things that was said, there's two things that we've really practiced in our home life. And I, I love that you do um, kind of a word for the year and set some goals around that. Like our, we've done that a few times with our kids. Oh, yeah. that really well. Like that's, that's fabulous. Um, there are two things that we've done. One is I work really hard at owning my mistakes as a parent and as a, and as a partner. Right. So like, I, I honestly think just saying like, Hey, I hear you and I'm sorry. And then not attaching anything to it. Like not, I'm sorry, but if you wouldn't have done this, it wouldn't have like, nope, just say, I'm sorry without attachment, put your tail between your legs and just, I'm sorry, I screwed up. And then just sit in the silence and be okay with that. Like that's really awkward. It's really hard. It's a hard thing to do, but it's really powerful. It's a really powerful connector. Um, so that, and I think too, just the observation piece, I think is really important, right? Like trying to remove judgment as much as I can in my family. Mm-hmm. So I can, you know, it's easy to kind of get on each other's nerves of like, you know, oh, you didn't put the dishes in the dishwasher right. What's wrong with you? you know, like we can get mad about little things that are really inconsequential. But to just be able to say like, hey, I'm noticing that this is going on. Like you seem more upset. Can you just like, what's going on? Like just help me, help me see where you're at and what can I do to be helpful? And doing that with your kids, doing that with your spouse, you know, whatever that grandparents, guardians, kind of whatever your environment is. I think that like, hey, I'm noticing that, 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 what's going on? And then a curious, open question to just, hey, you can kind of take me wherever you need to go. You know, I think as a communication tool, it's a really powerful connector. And I think that's cool. Like you're noticing, you're not saying you're doing X, Y, and Z. Exactly. You're, you're bringing an invitation for a notice and you're bringing awareness and because what I found is a lot of times is that sometimes we cannot, we can be so caught up in what we do that we're not aware. And the reverse of it is we know our family members trigger points. We can stab the knives and turn them quickly if we want to go there. And so for me, it's finding ways to have those awkward conversations to say, hey, I noticed you did bring up that stat mark. Like you knew how to turn that and you used it. Why did you feel the necessary or the necessity to do that? So I think that's awesome too. And, and the ability, what I love about like the work that you do too, is that it's nimble. And I feel like any leadership training should be nimble. It should be able to, yeah. um, because if you can't be a leader at your home, it's going to be difficult to be a leader at work in my opinion and like any new entrepreneur I always say start with your home like yeah. start <laughs> you want to have that in order <laughs> yeah yeah it's true so um my question for you is you people are apologizing for making it awkward <laughs> what would you say to them and invite them for future to to Stop it. Yeah. Uh, I, I stopped apologizing for it when I, when I started really realizing like, well, what's it for? Like how, so how is it actually serving the people that I'm talking to by like bringing up the awkward stuff? And it's like, sure, it's awkward, but man, is it better on the back end? Right. So it's like, I don't have to apologize for putting you in a difficult situation because I know that it's going to lead to resolve or I know it's going to get you closer to like, I know that we're going to move to something better. So I don't want to apologize for making something better. Right. So like, I don't, I don't want to feel guilty about that. Do I, does it happen every time? No, sometimes it's just awkward. And I'm like, sorry, you know, like genuinely like that was bad. I apologize. Um, 
but uh but i i don't feel like you have to you know i don't you know, I'm, I'm not sorry for making it awkward and like I, I don't think you have to feel that way if if really what you're shooting for and you do it in a thoughtful considerate caring way of like no I, i'm doing this because i care about you and you're you're asking to make it you're asking me to make it awkward without actually asking me to do it mm-hmm. I, I think there's a story behind the story that takes place all the time it's like oftentimes people are just like i really want you to tell me that i'm doing something wrong or like i shouldn't be dating this person or i shouldn't have, i shouldn't have filled out the form that way and you're not telling me mm-hmm. it's like people are can handle more than we think they can handle and in some ways it's like that bold truth sometimes or that bold like hey i'm noticing this what's going on it's like they just want somebody to notice them like mm-hmm. that service that you provide it's like hey just i want you to see me nobody's seeing me right now nobody like people are letting me get away with mediocre work and nobody's saying anything like i just want you to see me and so it's like that i don't think you have to apologize for seeing someone and inviting them into a conversation and it may not go well but more likely than not you're going to provide a service to that person that they're craving i love it i love it so much because i don't know why it just popped up to me in that while you were talking but it makes me think of in middle school, we would do things like awkward turtle or like awkward dog dish or like. Middle like, school is the most awkward time in the world. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. But people would yeah. always bring awareness to it in middle school. Because we're, yeah, like you said, we're already as awkward as it can be. But it's open and it's some of it the joking way. But bringing back the awareness of yeah. when those awkward conversations and lean into them instead of running away from them. So I appreciate you. Such a great and dynamic conversation. Um, And for anybody that wants to reach out to you afterwards, um, tell them where to find you. Yeah, uh, you can find me. You can either go to uh, www.evolve-consulting.com. That's the website. You can find me there. Or you can just directly email me if that's something you want to do, uh, Dave at theevolveddifference.com. Um, I don't do a whole lot on social media. I'm a little difficult to find there, but you can track me down on LinkedIn. Uh, if you type in Dave Newell, Evolve Consulting or Evolve Leadership Consulting, you'll you'll likely find me there. Those are those are good ways to connect with me. And and now I'm aware that I need to do more social media. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Love it. Yeah. Love it. Well, this is great, Emily. You ask great questions. Thanks for thanks for the engagement, and, and I appreciate your insights as well. Thank you so much. Thank you for everybody that listened in and that will listen later. Y'all have an amazing and blessed day. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Unapologetically Bold. I'm not sorry for. If this touched you in any way, please like and subscribe and share with your friends as we continue the message of being unapologetically bold by being hot humans who are humble, open, and transparent. See you next time.